I've always wanted to preach on a stage where I get to pace. Uh, if, I, if I end up neglecting anyone, yell at me, like, halfway through. Hey, before we start, I wanted to mention two things. Uh, our church is venturing into new things, and so this past week, Allison and I did a Facebook Live on Wednesday, and we got about 250 views of that. I love how she described it. She said, that was terrifyingly fun. So we're going to do that again this next Wednesday around 1.15. If anyone's free at that time, uh, you can log on to our Facebook page and actually interact with us. We want to elevate our conversation about the Holy Spirit. That's why we're doing this. And so we, tend, we, we intend to, to continue this even if you're not available at that time, like we have a job, uh, it should show up in your feed. If not, you can just go to the H2O Facebook page and access that. Okay, uh, can you pull out your blue cards? Everyone show me that you have a blue card. Oh, Christy doesn't. Who has blue cards? Does no one have blue cards? Well, this is quite anticlimactic then. Um, the other thing I wanted to tell you about is that I'm blogging. You may or may not like to blog. The advantage of my blog is it will show up on your email. You don't need to do anything. You don't need to go anywhere. If you want to, and, and uh, Chris is nodding his head in agreement, saying it's so inspiring, right? Yeah, it is. And so my whole goal with blogging is to inspire people. And so... Uh, hopefully that will be accomplished. If you're interested and you can find a blue card before you leave, if you just write the word blog, then I'll get you signed up. And your thank you and your name. That would be really helpful to have. Let me pray for you guys, and I want to tell you why I'm praying for you. Whenever we hear preaching, we need to tune in our hearts to, to God speaking through human beings. That is his plan. And it's easy for me to get in the way or for what is going on in your life to get in the way. So we need to create a little sacred space to be quiet before God and let him speak. Right? So could you bow your heads in prayer with me? We choose to let go of circumstances we can't control, of things in our lives we do not like, of stuff we need to get done. To take these few moments, Lord, and sit metaphorically at your feet, and we ask something really simple. Lord, would you speak to me? Lord, would you speak to me? We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have kids? Okay. How many of you, there's an old picture of me and a couple of my kids. That is me. Yeah. And what is it that I'm wearing? And check out that haircut. What, what is that? Um, Kara there on the left 
is being kind of moody and cuddling with me, but I love the look on Caitlin's face. Very typical. So how many of you, I asked you how many of you have kids. How many of you at one time in your life, you were a kid? So many of you here, if not the majority. And there's something that we're supposed to learn from kids that is really uh, life-changing is that we are really, really broken and messed up. Let me explain what I mean. All the craziness that's going out in our world, we should, at this point in our lives, be able to say, under the right cocktail of circumstances, I could do the same thing. Like, I'm one bad choice away from disaster. There's something inherently broken in me, in you, in all of us. And we learn that from children. As cute and cuddly as they are, they come out of the womb broken and messed up. I did not explain to my children how to be selfish. I never sat down with Caitlin and said, hey, Caitlin, let me just clue you in. Here's how you bite your sister, Kara. Here's how to do it. When we were at McDonald's one day, I did not lean over to another one of my children and said, you see that little party going on here with this other boy? They're celebrating his birthday and he's wearing a crown and you don't have a crown and wouldn't you like to have that crown? So here's my plan. When they go up into the playground there, why don't you punch that little boy and steal his crown? I didn't do that. That came natural. It's just like I didn't even need to think about it. It's just, just what they did. I never pulled my kids aside into our living room and then I didn't fall on the floor and throw a temper tantrum because I didn't get my way. I did not do that. Now, I'm not speaking for Jana. I don't know what she did. No, I'm kidding. The look I just got was like, don't even go there. Jana's a fantastic mom. The point is that we've worked really hard at parenting that stuff out of our kids. And so when we look at children, we should know that we are inherently flawed. There's something broken. And hopefully one day through life, we, we continue on our journey, and some of us, we, we, did, not, we did not sin very well. It, maybe it's because we wanted to please our parents. Maybe it's because we got just enough religious training to kind of quell that beast that is inside of all of us. But some of you are like that. Others of us, we sinned mightily. We were kind of lawless. We didn't have religious instruction and we just let the beast out. But no matter which of those people you were, hopefully eventually we came to a point when, when we sat in front of a cross by faith and said, this, this has captured me. There's something about this. Number one, I, I, I realized because of the cross that I, I'm not alone, that there is a God. I understand that I am loved by this God, but there's also something else which theologians call the great exchange, that there on the cross, God took all of his wrath. God does have wrath. In our PC world, God has wrath and indignation for the things I've done, but strangely, at the cross, God says, I'm gonna pour my wrath toward your unrighteousness onto my son, and I'm gonna give you Wait for this. I'm going to give you the righteousness of God 
as a gift. I hope that all of you here, no matter how long your journey is, no matter where you're at in this journey, you stand amazed at what has been done for you, like I do. And it brings us into this, a word that Paul uses called freedom. That we're set free from our past. We're set free from our guilt. We're set free from our shame. We don't need to feel bad about ourselves anymore because we are loved and God has pursued us and claimed us as his own. We're also set free, and this is what we're going to begin to unpack today. We're set free from the law. We're set free from any standard that we can't live up to anyway. We're set free. God's intention is to bring us to a point of freedom in our lives. And this brings us to the main point that I want you to get here today. Freedom is not about us doing for Christ. It is about Christ living in us. Doing flows from being. If you know who you are, if this gets centered in your personality and becomes your identity, if you can say instinctively, it's no longer I who live, Christ lives in me, and that begins to flow out of your being, what happens is spontaneous acts of love and spontaneous words and thoughts of freedom and joy begin to happen when this begins to circulate the way it's intended to when we begin to walk in the freedom that God has intended for us. Things just work the way they're supposed to work. But we, Christians, dummy this down, and we can't get used to this reality. Look at what Jesus said in John 14, verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him, and we will make our home with him. Like, there's a party going on in here. Isn't that amazing if you think about it? I mean, last week I, I said the gospel is so powerful, it, it sounds like some drunk guy made it up. And think about this. What if you came up to someone that doesn't know Christ yet, and you say, well, actually, God lives in me. They're like, what are you talking about? But this needs to become the center of how we think and we feel and we, we act. So, this morning, we are in Galatians. Golly, I just spent a, burned a lot of time right there. We are in the book of Galatians, and the book of Galatians, our subtitle is Being Transformed by the Gospel of Freedom, and we're going to talk about the war between being lawless, or being a legalist, or being a libertarian, or being compelled and motivated by love. We're going to talk about that battle here today. We left off with Paul sharing his testimony because we Christians like to use words that no one else in the world uses, like testimony. So Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He had been persecuting Christians. He had been imprisoning them. He had voted against them, and people were put to death because Paul, who then was known as Saul, until Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus and said, Saul, Saul, which is a term of endearment in the ancient Middle East when you repeat someone's name twice. It's, it's an expression of kindness and fondness. And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, 
Why? Why are you persecuting me? So Saul, which is a Hebrew name, renamed himself Paul, which is a Greek name, because he understood now I am a new person and I have a mission to reach unchurched people. So I want to tell you a little bit about uh, the world in which Paul lived. And, and this is kind of hairy and complicated, but you all are very smart, right? You're not convincing me much at all. You guys are, are smart, right? Uh, still not much. Okay, so Jew, the Jew in his day, the Jew practiced circumcision, which was the ritual, the act of indicating that I am a Jew. They were lawful. They, they followed the law of Moses. They were moral. There were dietary restrictions. They did not eat pork, for example. They were churched people, and they hated the Gentiles because they looked at the Gentiles, which is almost everyone here in this room, as being unclean. So the second people group was the Gentile. The Gentile did not practice circumcision. Like I said last week, it's not a good thing to practice anyway. You want to get that right on the first try. They would tended to be lawless and immoral. They didn't grow up going to church. They were unchurched. They didn't have dietary restrictions. It was like we eat whatever we want. We do whatever we want. We have no one telling us how we should live. And they hated the Jews because they were religious and they were not. And so here's what happened. After Paul came to know Christ, Paul began to reach out to people and tell people about Jesus. And these churches started popping up everywhere. One of the churches that he started was called Antioch. He and his buddy Barnabas started this church in Antioch. And soon, people that followed Christ were called Christians for the first time. So this is years after the resurrection, and the world didn't know what to call us. But there in Antioch, for the first time, they called them Christians. And the church grew, and then the church decided, we're going to send Paul and Barnabas out to start a new church. And so they went to a place called Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. And then all of these people were getting saved, coming to know Jesus. And that's where our story takes us. It brings us to this third people group called the Judaizers. Now, the Judaizers were Jews who believed Jesus was the Messiah. They believed Gentiles... People that had not brought up, been brought up with the law needed the law to be moral. To be a Christian, essentially what they were saying was to be a Christian, you have to become a Jew first. In other words, Jesus is not enough. We need Jesus plus. Back then, it was circumcision. It was the law. Today, you can add anything else to it. Jesus plus means the gospel and the cross and God's grace are not enough. I must do something. A couple of weeks ago, I quoted Martin Luther, and I want you to realize this about yourself. Martin Luther essentially said, after preaching the gospel of grace for 20 years, he realized that he desperately wanted to deal with God on the basis of merit. There is a law keeper inside of each of us. 
I want to prove myself. I want to be worthy. I want to validate my identity. I have this battle inside of me after following Jesus for 39 years that goes on all the time. It is not just seekers that need to understand the gospel. The gospel is for Christians. I need to hear that I'm acceptable to God based on what he has done for me every day of my life. Okay, so the Judaizers come to Antioch. They come to this, not to Antioch, to Galatia. And they begin to tell the people of Galatia, we're really happy, you believe in Jesus, but that's not good enough. You need to be circumcised, you need to start doing things for God. And so at this point, it's like a fight is about to break out. There's about to be a rumble between Paul and the Judaizers. Christianity is about to split in half. And they had a great idea. Let's all gather together. Let's have a church meeting and let's talk through this issue and let's make it really, really clear. And so all of these church leaders came to the city of Jerusalem to talk about this issue. So if you have your Bible, open it up to Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. If not, we have it on PowerPoint. Don't worry about it. Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem to this church meeting with Barnabas taking Titus along with me. So they're going to this church meeting. Paul and Barnabas, the pastors, are going to it, and they're bringing along another person. This guy's name is Titus. And Titus was not Jewish. Titus was a man who had met Jesus, had never put himself under the law, but he'd been changed, he'd been transformed. They're taking Titus along as proof to say, see, all you have to do is believe in the gospel and your life gets changed and it's so obvious as we look at this man and his happiness. And you may not know this, but we have a Titus among us right now. Really pretty cool. You'll get to hear his story, I think, pretty soon. But a number of weeks ago, uh, Jim was preaching, and I guess he was in Fuego that day, because um, a guy named Chris was beginning to hunger for God and decided not to go to the church that was right across the street from him, but got online and began to search, and he felt compelled to come to H2O. Walked two miles, came to H2O, walked into the service, first time he had gone to church on his own, and as Jim talked about the grace of God, Chris, you mind just standing up or waving or saying, he gave me permission to share this. This is Chris. You'll get to know him more. And Chris was just changed right there in the moment. This is what we're all about. If the gospel is true, then when any person understands what God has done for them through the cross, through repentance and faith, they can be absolutely transformed. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. That's why we celebrate, right? Isn't this exciting? So, I shouldn't say we have our own Titus. Paul and Barnabas had their own Chris. Um, so that's what was going on. 
verse 2, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I now proclaim among the Gentiles to make sure that I was not running or I had run in vain. So Paul was preaching this gospel of radical grace, that grace is all that you need, and he wanted to make sure, so he pulls aside some of the original apostles, the people that had walked with Jesus, and I just want to make sure my gospel is correct. Like for me, there's a lot of people I've talked to about Jesus, and if my gospel isn't correct, I have wasted my life. And that is what Paul is saying here. Verse 3, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Now, this makes me laugh, and maybe it doesn't make anyone else laugh, but I just understand that circumcision is cutting a little bit of skin off the male organ. And if I, as a young Christian, was reading this, you know, you're reading the Bible, and it's like, God loves me, and the cross, this is really cool, and he was not forced to be circumcised. I'd be like, what is going on? What are we even talking about? So circumcision, again, was a Jewish ritual where the Jews thought, you have to come under the law here. Where were we at? What, what, what verse was that? Three, verse four, yet because, yet because a false brother secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom, circle that word, that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, circle that word. Isn't that, aren't those strong words? Because Christianity is Jesus alone. The Judaizers were merely saying, just add circumcision. Let's just add some law. That's all they're saying. And Paul says, that is slavery. I, I can speak authoritatively on this because I know this experience. When I look at the cross alone, I feel so inspired to live for Jesus. I feel so motivated to tell anyone I can about Jesus. When people fail, I feel inspired to move toward them with grace. When you put the law over me, something dies inside of me. Like, you're supposed to do this. It can be anything. It can be wonderful. Like, you're supposed to read the Bible. Yeah, don't want to. Christians are supposed to pray. Yeah, don't feel like it. But when I look at the cross, then those things are very natural and flow from me. My doing flows from my being. Again, the main point I want you to get, freedom is not about us doing for Christ. It is about Christ living in us. We have to say that over and over and over again, Christ lives in me. Doing flows from being. Verse 5. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. This is interesting to me because Paul could have handled this differently. He, he could have compromised. He could have said, hey, you Gentiles, listen. Okay, I'm not going to make you be circumcised. 
but the pulled pork sandwiches, gotta go. We, we gotta kind of meet the Judaizers halfway. And instead, he says, I will not give one inch on this issue. Because the minute you add any law to the gospel, it is no longer good news at all. All right, I want to go big picture just for a minute. I want you guys to understand how we respond to God's law. There's four different responses. One is the lawless response to God's word. So the, the word, the law, is meant to be a mirror to us. We look into that mirror and we realize how broken we are. We realize when we look at God's commandments, I actually, I don't keep them. I fall short. And so the lawless person, they look at that mirror, that law, and they say, I don't, I don't have any interest in that at all. The lawless person hates the mirror. The second person is a legalist. A legalist looks in the mirror and rather than drawing the conclusion that I'm fallen and broken, they draw the conclusion that they're good. And the legalist manipulates the law. They take God's law, which is meant to convict us of our sin, and instead they flat put it on the ground and they begin to build a monument to themselves. That's what the legalist does. The libertarian is a person that has believed in Jesus, but their thinking is, Christ died for me, and he loves me unconditionally, so it doesn't matter what I do with my life. So the libertarian takes the mirror and just throws it away and thinks because of grace it doesn't matter how I live, which is not what Paul means when he says freedom. And the last response is the love response, which is what God has always intended. It is the purpose of our freedom. He set us free so that we can love others the way that we have been loved as well. This is why David wrote, in the Old Testament, back when they had the law, he wrote in Psalm 119, I will run in the path of your commandments, for you've set my heart free. In this way it's supposed to work, right? This is gospel. This is freedom. This is love. This is grace. This is what God has intended for us all along. Verse, I don't know, this is hard to keep my place. Verse 6, and from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. Uh, can't you just feel like Paul is dialing it up here? What's he doing? He's talking about Peter and James and John, these first followers of Jesus, and he's saying, yeah, those guys, what they have to say matters nothing to me. Why is he dialing it up? Because once you've heard the voice of God proclaim freedom over you, then you can't let any other voice dictate who you are. That's why Paul makes those statements that says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's very personal. God who gave himself for me and loved me, it's very personal. Because when God speaks freedom over you and you've been changed, you cannot listen to any other voice that would put law over you. Verse 7. 
On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised. So, let's talk about Peter for just a minute. Next image, please. Peter had a Jewish upbringing. He was brought up with the law. He was one of Jesus' first followers. He was an eyewitness of the resurrection. He gave the first Christian sermon and 3,000 people were converted. He had a dream in which he understood that he was actually supposed to love Gentile people. It was Peter that first understood that God loves people like you and me. Peter went to a home of a man named Cornelius. Cornelius and all of his house gets converted because of Peter. Peter understood the gospel, is my point. And his primary ministry was to the Jews. And he will come right back up in just a second. Okay, so we're at this big church meeting, this big discussion of this topic. And the Judaizers stand up first and they say, you must be circumcised. And then Peter stands up and says, no way, that's not the gospel. And then Paul with Barnabas and Titus, our exhibit A, say this is the gospel we've shared with Titus. It has changed his life. And then James, the brother of Jesus, stands up and he says, let's not make Christianity difficult for Gentiles. Meeting adjourned, high fives all around. We're all happy the gospel. We're holding on to the gospel. Situation resolved. Everyone can go home. So what should have happened anyway? Where are we at? Verse 8? Verse 8? Okay, thank you. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the uncircumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, that is the leaders of the church, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and to me, that we should go to the Gentiles, they would go to the uncircumcised, uh, they would go to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So I just want you to see that everybody's happy at this point. Everybody has left the meeting, they're all in agreement, they're all crystal clear on what the gospel is. Now look at verse 11. But when Cephas, that's a name for Peter, so you remember who Peter was. When Peter, Cephas, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. He was hanging out with them. He was eating pulled pork. He was no longer putting himself under the law. He rightly understood that he was set free by the gospel of grace. But when they came... He drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, which I can't resist saying every single time. I mean, the circumcision party. How many of you are going to a Super Bowl party today? Gosh, we're... <laughs> there's like four of us. I can just, Im I can just imagine one of these guys saying, hey, come on over to my house. We're having a party. Oh, is it a Super Bowl party? 
Now it's a circumcision party. I think I'm busy during that time. I mean, circumcision party just is hilarious. The circumcision party was the Judaizers, okay? We all have that in our mind. They're the guys saying the gospel alone is not enough. Okay. Verse 13. No, let's stop before I go there. If there's anyone that understood the gospel of grace, it was Peter. Peter was the very first one to reach out to the Gentiles, right? That's what we said. Peter defended Paul and the gospel at the meeting he was just at. And yet, in this different context, he doesn't live out the gospel of grace. That's the whole point. Let's look at the next verse. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Who's Barnabas? Barnabas went with Paul on the mission to the Gentiles. Barnabas had preached the gospel of grace hundreds of times. He had heard Paul speak about grace hundreds of times. How in the world did Barnabas get mixed up about the gospel? Which leads us to the charge that is often made against Christians, that Christians are hypocrites, right? We've all heard this. Seekers and skeptics tend to have a number of questions that are common. How can you possibly say that Jesus is the only way? How can you follow the Bible? It's the word of man. You call it the word of God. That's confusing to me. How can God be good and allow a, a world of suffering? But, but this is probably my favorite, is that Christians are hypocrites. I, I love to answer this. And I think the first thing that I would say if I encountered someone that shared this is I would ask them about their experience. I can see that you're really bothered about hypocrisy. How have you personally experienced that? My answer would not be to debate them. It would be to go to their personal experience. It would be to draw alongside them and say, can you just tell me what you've experienced? How many of you here today, right here, how many of you have experienced hypocrisy? Okay, look around. That's almost everybody has. How many of you have lived out some hypocrisy in your own life? Please, everyone, raise your hand. I would tell them, I'm really sorry that you've experienced that. I would then go to confession and say, I need to tell you that I have been hypocritical. You know that I believe that God is in com complete control of everything. That's what sovereign means. He's sovereign. He's a king. He sits on the throne. He's in control of everything. And so when Jesus said, do not worry about your life, look at the, the flowers of the field. They don't toil or spin. Relax, chill. Do you know how often I'm a hypocrite with that? How often I stress and worry and feel pressure and act as if God is not there? Always. It is so constant. This brings us to the point is, well, then why hypocrisy? Because the gospel is so beautiful. 
It's so incredible that God himself would hang on a cross to save someone that is ignoring him or running away from him. The likelihood of me being able to live that out is zero. So I've shared this before. Imagine Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying. He's about to go to the cross the next day. He says, hey, guys, I am so stressed out. I am, my soul is in despair. Can you just pray with me for a while? And they all agree. Jesus goes away to pray, comes back, and what are they doing? Sleeping. Goes away a second time, comes back. What are they doing? Goes away a third time, comes back. What are they doing? And at this point, it's as if Jesus says, man, this is doomed. There is no way these guys are ever going to get it. I, I just have no hope. The only possibility for my kingdom advancing is if I unzip my chest and I take what's inside of me and I put it inside of them. That's the only chance I got. And that's what the Holy Spirit is. And that's the core essential thing we have to understand. I cannot do this. I never will be able to do this. After 50 years of following Jesus, my flesh will be no better than it is today. My only hope is that Christ himself is living through me. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We need this to permeate the core of our being. Again, back to the main point. Freedom is not about us doing for Christ. It is about Christ living in us. Our doing has got to flow from this center. It's got to flow from our being, who we are. Because if we are in Christ, then Christ is in, a, in us, and he's living through us. And that makes us free. When we begin to understand the gospel, we begin to feel freedom. And when it begins to permeate our identity, we can wake up in the morning and say, the truth about me is that God has set me free. Jesus lives in me, and I am empowered internally for this day. Now, I know that some of you came in late and you missed the video uh, that we showed by Stephen Furtick. I have to confess, we're in church, so I have to confess, I did that intentionally, put that right at the beginning of the service, knowing that some of you would miss that. We intend to kick off our meeting very strongly from this point on every Sunday, okay? Just full disclosure. But I also wanted to share that with you because I believe that each one of us is in a battle. We have to learn to fight for our identity and to live out of what God says is true about you and me. We have to fight. It is not natural. Your feelings will not align with the gospel. Do you all hear me on this? 
Your thoughts will not align with the gospel. Your actions will not align with the gospel until you repeat it to yourself over and over and over again. It doesn't make it true. It is true. But as you proclaim it over yourself, it begins to sink in. So let's, let's land this plane together here. Why don't you guys stand up? And let's close our eyes and enter into prayer. And let's proclaim over ourselves what, what we declare to be true. God, we acknowledge today that we are loved. We acknowledge today that we are not alone. We are powerful because a powerful God has moved in and through us. We are clean because a holy God has done something for us. We are free because you intended our freedom and you fought for it and you died for it and you rose again. We declare that truth over us that we are not what we once were. We are not what we once were. We are new creations. We have a new king, a new direction in our lives. Life is no longer we are super normal because the Holy Spirit is inside of us. We will not cower anymore. We will not just follow our feelings. We will not live as if the cross did not happen. We will not live as if the cross did not happen. We will live as if there is a kingdom. We will live as if there is a king. We will live as if the Holy Spirit is true and indwelling. We will rely on you. We will turn to you in the moments of our lives. We will depend on you. And we will experience you because you are faithful. So here today as we move into worship, we just proclaim your presence here. You are no liar. You said where two or more have gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. You are here. And if you are here, if the God of freedom who died on the cross for me is here right now in this place, then as we worship you, we will let go of things. We will surrender worries and concerns and all the things that ail us. We will we will worship you with our spirit and, and, and with truth. So we invite you as we come with the heart to proclaim that you are good and you've loved us and we know it and we want to live that way. So right now we come into your presence to worship you as king.